This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is sponsored by Ana Luisa Jewelry. Welcome back to Monsters and Mixers. We are your hosts. I am Amy. And I'm Emma. And today we are taking you on another trip to New York, uh, to Amityville, New York. If you remember a few weeks back, Emma did her Amityville murder episode, and her and I have some pretty strong differences about what happened after the murders. So as a paranormal podcast, I felt it was very um, important to do the haunting side as well. So this is kind of my rebuttal to Emma's, hey, I think this happened thing. So if you have not listened to that episode yet, you can find it. It is labeled, titled Amityville Murders. So it's really easy to find. All right, and to get us in the mood to drink, or to drink, we are drinking, to get us in the mood to talk about it and to bring you a drink for the first time in a few weeks, we have some apple martinis, and they are delicious. Pretty easy to make, too. Even the most novice of home bartenders can make it. All you need is vodka, sour apple liqueur, and we used apple juice to kind of sweeten it up a little bit. And I made these, so I made two at a time to do one. You need one and a half ounces of vodka. We use Tito's because we like Tito's. One and a half ounces of sour apple liqueur, so like an apple pucker. Uh, we use the off-brand uh, De Kippers, I think. And then... Uh, Don't be giving out all these brands <laughs> for free. And then an ounce of apple juice. One and a half ounces of apple juice. So you put those all together in a it's shaker. A half ounce. No, it's one and a half. I oh. missed it. Um, it's all equal in equal parts of ingredients. You can add more or less apple juice or vodka or whatever you want. If you like your martinis a little stronger, you can add more vodka. If you like them a little weaker, you can take some of that out. If you prefer the flavor of the apple, add more of that. Just make it how you want. Do a little taste test. So mix all three ingredients together, shake it with some ice in a shaker, and then strain it into a glass. We wanted ours to be pretty, so I poured them in a glass that I actually used some of our green sugar from decorating Christmas cookies and put it around the rim so they're nice and cute. And so cheers. We're going to try them and see if we both agree that they are yummy. Pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like, not, I like apple everything, so. I do like apple everything. I saw some ingredient or some recipes where you could actually use apple cider, but apple cider gives like me we migraines. We made like the caramel apple ones, I think. So, but these are really tasty. I am pretty good. Pretty good with it. <laughs> I'm oh. good. Good at bartending. Good at drinking. I'm so, not mad about it. Nope, not at all. There one has, of the better ones that we've had. <laughs> it is one of the better ones. So if you have been disappointed in our drink choices, this will probably make you happy. There hasn't been a whole lot going on. Um, happy Easter. Yeah, happy Easter. If it's not Easter when you're listening, which it probably won't be because we're going to post it later today. But hopefully you had a great day. Hopefully you um, 
We'll still post it on Easter. Yeah, but that doesn't mean people are going to listen on Easter. Sure. If you don't celebrate the Easter, then yeah, happy Sunday. Happy whatever day it is for you. But anyway, we um, don't have a whole lot going on. I did find it really funny. I went out of town yesterday. You probably saw, if you follow us on our socials, posted some photos of this horrifying um, furry creature in a bar that we went to. So I'll kind of make it like the short version of the story. But went out of town. My husband hand, handed me his phone the other day and said, hey, let's go to Herman, Missouri, which is wine country. It's really, really pretty. Pick out a room. And so he gave me three different hotels. I just clicked on one, and I am a huge sucker for a any kind of a bathroom that has a jacuzzi tub because I really like to take jacuzzi baths, especially if we've been out and it's been a little chilly. So I just settle on one room. And when we get there, as I always do when we go to any town, I always look up what haunted things there might be to do around there. And I find this hotel that says... It's haunted and they had some like ghost hunters show, not the ghost hunters, but a ghost hunters show come in and they were investigating and they had some pretty significant EVP action in the cellar and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. But then when I look, it's no longer a hotel. And I was like, well, that sucks. And then when we take our trolley, because we were being responsible because we were drinking wine, back to our hotel, I look at it and I'm like, man, this looks a little familiar. So come to find out. I just accidentally, based on jacuzzi cub, jacuzzi tub preference, booked us a room in the renovated version of that haunted hotel, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Don't just shake your head. On accident, on, she claims. It, I swear, swear to God, it was purely accidental. So we went down to the cellar where they have a really super cute bar, and there's this thing that looks like a Planet of the Apes nightmare hanging out in the corner. And it's this Bigfoot wearing a Mad Hatter costume. And y'all, when I tell you it was terrifying, please go to our socials and look at it. I freaking hated it. We actually ended up getting up and moving seats because I got tired of looking at it. It was it looked like it was staring at me. It was horrifying. I hated it. It's not how I, not how I picture Bigfoot in my head. No. And his eyes. And I asked the bartenders what the story was with it because it didn't make any sense for this bar that's literally called 1837 or 1867. 1837 because that's the year it was made so it's really like all exposed limestone walls and things the bigfoot made no sense there so i asked them why they had a bigfoot and they said one of the owners is a bigfoot enthusiast and his grandchildren like to hunt bigfoot and he dresses in the costume and goes out in the woods but he thought it would be great to put that on a skeleton that he used to drive around during halloween with him in his car so what I was terrified of was a skeleton wearing a Bigfoot Bigfoot suit, which, as you can tell, would be very terrifying. It literally looked like the gorilla from the episode of SpongeBob, where there's like the real gorilla <laughs> yeah. wearing suit when it's chased him underwater, or the one that if you watched old Three Stooges, they used to always have a man in a gorilla suit, and it always looked like that. Like the eyes were sliding down, and you could see like it looked like eyeballs, but the crazy thing was there are there were no eyes in this thing so when it looked like probably the eyes seen were the skeleton under probably when it looked like the eyes were following you it was equally more terrifying to know there weren't any fucking eyes in the <laughs> thing i was not a fan but it was a really cool hotel and we're gonna go back and now that i know it's haunted i will be prepared this time with my equipment so i can try and find some kind stuff. of respect like loving something or being like so enthusiastic about something that you like 
put it in your bar that has nothing to do with it. Yeah, and they even had a shot you could buy, so you could do Bigfoot shots and take pictures with the Bigfoot while you did your shots. I did not do that because I did not want to get close to Bigfoot because I did not like it. Olive, go away. <laughs> Olive is talking. She wants to know about Bigfoot. All right, so we are going to just go ahead and get going with the story here. Um, you guys are probably familiar with the movie Amityville Horror. and this, of them. Yeah, there's the old one with, um, why can't I, uh, Bronson. Piers. No, not Piers. <laughs> Piers Bronson. Brolin. Brolin. With um, Brolin and I can't think of anybody's name right now. I'm struggling, yeah. Well, we all know who's in the new one. Yeah, and then the new one has Mom and Ryan Reynolds and it's awesome. I really, for a remake, thought that was great. It is good. Yeah, it's like a modernized version of an old movie. I thought it was pretty good. Is your name Margot Kidder? I think that might be right. <laughs> yeah. It's terrifying. It too. is. It is One very of the first scary. movies I remember scaring the dog shit out of me. Yeah. So the story is it takes place after the DeFeo murder. So if you're not familiar, on November 13th, 1974 at 3.15 a.m. in a beautiful three-story colonial house located in the small town of Amityville, just outside of Long Island, Ronald DeFeo, I'm having trouble today, DeFeo Jr., a.k.a. Butch, silently and systematically walked from room to room shooting his family with the 35 caliber rifle one by one. When he was finished, all six of them were dead, his mother, father, and four siblings. And everybody wondered why a 23-year-old man would suddenly snap and slaughter his family. And when he was questioned on the stand, he only gave one reason, and it was, the devil made me do it. So if you are a fan of the Conjuring franchise, they actually have a Conjuring called The Devil Made Me Do It, which is when the Warrens go and investigate the house, which we will talk about later on. And Emma's already rolling her obnoxious <laughs> eyeballs I'm at just, me. like, physically resisting the urge to no, say things. It's okay. As it, wasn't, you, it wasn't a sudden snap. As you all go know. listen to my episode. Right. She already did her thing. This is mine. <laughs> and also, she did not want me to have a rebuttal to her rebuttal, so I will try no. my best to but, I mean, keep the discourse okay, so at a minimum. Here's the thing. I think it honestly could be both. I think that he could have just hated his dad and been mad and gone crazy and killed him. But I also think it could have been because there was some oppressive force in the house. So I think that you and I could actually probably find some common ground on this if we just acknowledge it. Sometimes I think people do evil things not because they were evil from the beginning, but something happened to make them evil. I mean, that I feel like that's an actual I legitimate agree. thing. In this situation, not so much. Okay. Only because I do think he was pretty evil for a long time. Yeah. Well, not And also, not in my brilliant. mind, when he says the devil made me do it, I think the devil might have been heroin. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's a fair point. But... <laughs> And this is about I'll let you have your episode. Okay. Oh, those salt cr or sugar crystals are. Crunchy. I can't stop licking it. Mm -hmm. I feel like a deer at a salt lake. <laughs> All right. So Ronald DeFeo Jr. testified in court to being possessed by Satan, who he blamed for the murders. He also stated he believed the entire house to be under the control of demonic forces. Ronald told the courtroom that there were voices in his head urging him to kill. This may be difficult for many to believe. But shortly after the murder of the DeFeos, a new family moved in, and that's when their horror began. The Lutz family bought the 4,000-square-foot house for just 80000 which was an absolute steal. I don't know if you've seen the house anywhere in photos or in the movie, 
but it is breathtaking. It is gorgeous. It is a waterfront home. It had has, because it's still occupied actually today, a large basement. It has a boathouse, five bedrooms, three and a half bathrooms, and it has a pool. So I don't know about you, Emma, but I would be pretty... Um, I'd be pretty skeptical to get a house of this magnitude for such a cheap amount of money. And I would immediately wonder what the hell. Also just how like amazing the house is makes it less hard for me to believe that someone would move in right after because I mean, if you're a young family, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. it's, and also if you're getting it for $80,000 in what was it? it had to be like 19. Um, so in? it was a year after. Okay. So, so 1975, like you're in, a really nice area of New York. Yeah, I mean, a so, really a really nice, picturesque community, yeah. really low crime. Very I mean, communal, very tiny. Yeah, but I would immediately wonder literally where the bodies were buried if somebody tried to, if I bought a house for that price, I'd be like, somebody had to have died here. I don't know if you'll go on to say, but did they disclose? They or did. Were they aware? Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, so, in an interview, I tried to do this with a lot of um, first-person interviews because there's a lot of footage you can find. So in an interview, George Lutz spoke about how great of a deal they got and how excited and happy his wife Kathy was when she walked in the house and saw the magnificent craftsmanship God damn, <laughs> and details put into creating the home. She was immediately in love with the house, and I completely can understand. So even before moving in, the Lutz family, because they did know about the DeFeo murders, they tried to kind of get rid of some of the things that they thought were like really significant reminders. And there was a sign outside that said high hopes and they had that removed because like I said, they were trying to scrub off some of the DeFeo. That's what the DeFeo house was stuff. referred to. Mm -hmm. uh, however, this small act only removed a tiny piece of the DeFeo's lasting presence and soon the Lutz family would find that something besides them resided behind the walls of their dream home. The Lutz family was desperate to start a life together. They were a blended family. All three of the kids were Kathy's from a pre previous marriage. And they, so they decided to move in even after they were told about the murders. And they only lasted 28 days, which is not a long time. It's less than a month. Yeah, to be in a house that is your dream house that you got super cheap. I mean, they... You can't recover moving in a house financially and leaving that quickly. You're going to lose your ass on it. So unlike in the movies, the haunting didn't start slowly and build. It was almost immediate when they moved in. The first thing that they noticed, and this doesn't seem like a paranormal thing, but it kind of is. So the heater was the first thing that seemed off. And you see this represented in the movie a lot. They called the repairman out to repair their furnace over and over and over again. And no matter what they did... It would never heat above 50 degrees. And this was winter time, so they were cold. In New York. Right. The family said they were freezing cold all the time, no matter how hard they tried to warm the house up. Uh, Kathy said when she was standing in the kitchen, she would feel someone lightly touch her, which was alarming to her at first, but then the touches became really hard to the point where she would pass out. Like she was getting like physically assaulted in her kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> Getting the shit knocked out of her. <laughs> she, was, she was going through it a little bit. So the Lutz family decided they were going to invite a priest in. So they invited Father Pecoraro. Picaro. Picaro. Yeah, Picaro. Once again with the 
freaking Italian names. This <laughs> town is full of Italians. Yep. So they brought him in to bless the house, and I actually was able to find an interview of him also. He did an interview in 1979, and at that time, he actually wasn't identified. He did it with the old, like, Wipro, like he was blacked out, and you couldn't... Um, yeah, couldn't see his face. You could just see his silhouette, and he talked about it because he was afraid of the backlash he would get from, from doing it. And so he says that when he went room to room offering a blessing, he got to the sewing room. Well, it was going to be a sewing room. It never actually became that. And that's when things began to get really strange. He said it was actually that day a beautiful, warm and sunny day outside. And he claimed the room was incredibly cold and that he was uncomfortable inside of it. He said it was so much colder than the other rooms in the house and he could not explain it. While he was walking around the room blessing it, he heard a deep hushed voice growl from behind him. Get out! He said that he knew it was not from anyone living in the house and that it was obviously directed towards him. And then right after that, he felt a slap across his face. Uh, upon leaving the house, the priest's car violently veered to the right. He got out to check and make sure that nothing was wrong because he didn't want to run off the road. And he didn't find anything. There was nothing mechanically wrong that he could see with his car, nothing wrong with his tire. He didn't know what was going on. So he got back in and he continued driving. And very soon after that, his hood flew off of his car and he had to call another priest to pick him up and drive him back to the church. And this actually is confirmed by the other priest. He says, yeah, I had to call, come and pick him up. His car was wrecked. A few days later, he began to develop large blisters on his hands like on the palms of his hands and he went to the doctor for treatment and i don't know if i know you know what stigmata is but you want to explain it to people who yeah so stigmata sure? is like a phenomenon that's been going on for forever where people say that they get like either burns or like sores in their palm the palms of their hands and like the soles of their feet that resemble like uh jesus's crucifixion so essentially kind of a fitting episode for easter actually yeah. i thought of it so he gets these stigmata marks on his hands. The doctor's like, I have no idea what these are. He, there was no rhyme or reason to it, could not explain it. The priest, because of that and the car thing, was obviously pretty alarmed. He called the Lutz family to warn them that he thought there was a menacing presence in their home. He called and called and called and called and called, and every time they would answer, the line was so staticky that he could never tell them to watch out. He was obviously too afraid to go back to the house, so they never really got that initial warning. Kathy said that so many things happened all the time and so often that they had previously started trying to like document it and write it down, like this happened today and this happened whatever. And so they began recording their experiences like an auto recording. And I have searched, I have scoured, I devoured the internet the other day for hours trying to find these tapes and I cannot freaking find them, but I can find that there was at one point in time a documentary done with them. So it was listed like you could buy it on Amazon, but it was out of stock. So if anybody knows, interesting. shut up. <laughs> if anyone out there has any access, please, please, please send us a message. Show me how to get it. And if I, you do, what kind of clearance do you have right i would really like to know where it's at email me i don't care just get it to me because it, it's kind of driving me crazy i really want to know 
Um, their experiences including hearing voices and music. George really seemed to be kind of the main target of these paranormal assaults, but almost everyone living in the house heard the music and voices at some point in time. The music woke the family up on many occasions, and this I thought was actually kind of funny. I don't know why, but it made me laugh. They said it sounded like a marching band warming up their instruments. So I guess it's so annoying. I, I guess the reason why it kind of made me chuckle is because, like, disjointed is the only thing I could think of. Like all the instruments not playing at the same time, but just like random music. People like just playing and trying to get warmed up. I'm like imagining like in third grade when we played recorders. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's playing off pitch oh, and different stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that would be really annoying. And also, when the family wasn't getting woken up in the middle of the night by the marching band warming up, George woke up all the time on his own. And he said in his interview, most of the time it was around 3.15, but it was usually always from the time of 3 to 4, which is commonly known as the witching hour to everybody that you know talks about that kind of stuff. And also... 3.15 is the time when the DeFeos were shot and killed. You got something to say? I just have a question. Yeah. Um, well, you probably can't answer it, but I would just assume, like, especially given the fallout that came from, like, this haunting and the amount of people who said that they were lying and just in it for money, you'd think that if they did have... The tapes. Tapes in physical recordings of their experience that would be the first thing that they would release to the public to be like we're not hacks and we're not lying we actually went through this and we're not crazy i i oh honestly sorry i honestly think that at one point in time they were released because i can see where they did exist but then it looks like everything got pulled off so i don't know if they later because they were i mean you know they were just really kind of drugged through the ringer in the mud afterwards I don't know if they chose to take it down and, and reclaim their property. Like, what were, what were they posted on? Because there's not YouTube in 1974. I, they probably would have been archived and, like, um, I don't Maybe the police have them. Maybe it got submitted into evidence. I have no idea. Or the um, FBI. What are they? CIA. The Warrens. Oh, maybe the Warrens. Yeah, it's possible. They didn't mention it, though. Um, they said doors and cabinets would open and close on their own constantly. They said that doors... Um, slammed violently on many occasions. And they also said that the doors to the boathouse would open up almost every single night. And George would have to go down and secure them again and again and again. And he was getting really frustrated and annoyed, annoyed by it. And the way that he always knew that they were open was because they had a dog. And he would be up, you know, doing whatever in the house, usually roaming around because it was 3.15 and the marching band woke him up. And the dog would be outside just barking its head off down by the boathouse doors. And they had a really nice boat. It was one of the things that he, George Lutz, was like most proud of, the boat that they had. And so he wanted, of course, to go down and make sure nobody was trying to steal his boat. He also kept motorcycles and other expensive tools in the shed. Kathy Lutz discovered this secret room that she says was not on the original house plans. And normally... That isn't really that big of a deal, except for Kathy was kind of alarmed by the fact that the room was painted like blood red. And she kind of thought that that, in her mind, meant maybe they were doing some kind of like sacrifices or something in the room. What do you think? Just a red room? I don't know. Where was it? Like Down in the, the basement? Because mm -hmm. that's where... That's where the... Butch yeah. lived. Yeah. So she found so this... who knows? Yeah, found this red room. And so the... Um, 
Also, we talked about it being wintertime. They had large swarms of flies that seemed to come out of nowhere. And it was during a time when flies should have been dead. You know, there's having a fly infestation in the wintertime in New York is pretty unheard of. It usually means that there's something like rotting. Right, that there's some dead thing somewhere that they're looking at. And the worst paranormal event for the Lutz family that didn't really involve any harm or pain to the family but was really upsetting to them was they said that there was like a green jello-like slime that would ooze out of the walls and the floors. And that really freaked them out and is rumored to be one of the final straws that ultimately drove them from the house. Besides the slamming of doors and other attacks, Kathy was physically harmed by the entity living in the home. She reported constant aches and pains, particularly in the back of her head. And at times it was so unbearable and crippling that she could barely get out of bed. And she had no health problems. She had it checked out. There was nothing physically wrong with her that would have caused her to have these headaches. Um, this detail I found super scary. It's even scarier actually than what they depict in the movie because I think it probably at that time would have been really hard to translate. They claim that their daughter had an imaginary friend. Well, they thought it was imaginary. But it was actually a demonic pig named Jody that she talked to like a human. And they would see the pig's glowing red eyes outside of their windows and down by the boathouse. And that is a big giant no for me. Like, they have changed, like, especially the newer version of the Amityville horror, they changed Jody into a little girl. And it's, I mean, she's, I wonder why she's scary. scarier to she, keep it. Right, I would have kept it the pig because that's freaking terrifying. That is not okay. Um... You know, your brother had his imaginary ghost friend that we don't think was an imaginary ghost friend. But at least it wasn't a freaking demon pig. Yeah, that's scary. That's so scary. Um, Missy, who is the daughter who played or lived in the um, room that Jody lived in, also had a rocking chair in her room. And it was known to rock on its own. And it, multiple times throughout the day, uh, George and Kathy would walk in and the chair would just be rocking for no reason and then when they walked in it would stop which is really scary and there was one thing I realized that we should have talked about and I remembered when we were talking about um, Kayla's imaginary friend about what happened the other day <laughs> we'll talk about it later yeah, we'll also talk, did, um, I think it's important to mention that they moved into the house with all of its original furniture I do talk about that yeah. okay yeah which adds to the scariness of even moving into that house to begin with. And even the residual overall residual energy energy that could be associated with those things. The um, one thing that the authorities found really baffling was that the Lutz family also began to know information about the DeFeo murders that the police had not given the public access to. They learned through a process of elimination that the murders happened at 315, and that the mom had been shot in the back of the head in the exact same spot that Kathy had been experiencing her intense pains. They were also able to tell the police the exact positions the bodies had been found in. And when they asked them how they knew this, they told them that's because that's how Kathy and the kids had been waking up. They had been waking up in the same positions as how the bodies were laid out. And they described it to the police and said they were in bed in this way. And they're like, how in the hell do you know that? Well, that's how we're waking up. So I'm not sure if that's the DeFeo spirits like telling them or if it's maybe some kind of a mimicking paranormal phenomenon in the house. I have no idea. 
It's, I think that's really gross though. Um, it also is not very surprising because like you said, the Lutz family was literally sleeping in the beds of the DeFeos. They did, however, get new mattresses because the others were splashed with blood. Um, they bought the furniture for $400. So that was one of the perks for buying their house dirt cheap was they got to keep all of the belongings. And I don't know if there's anything creepier than living in a house where a mass murder just took place, uh, except for sleeping in the beds of the why people that you, were just murdered. I don't, I don't know I, why you would even want to do that. That like blows my mind. I guess it was, just, maybe they just didn't have their own furniture. Maybe it was just easier. I have, I mean, no. they weren't like poor. I mean, it should be noted that before they moved in, I mean, George Lutz was a very strong, staunch atheist. He did not believe in anything scary at all. And after they moved out, he converted to Catholicism and was like a practicing Catholic because it was enough stuff happened there where he was definitely convinced that there was something in the house. So maybe when they moved in, they were just like, I mean, it's furniture. The same way they're like, it's just a house. Even if you don't believe in anything, it's not just furniture. Some poor 12-year-old's brains were just splattered on your bedspread. Yeah, I guess. I, I wouldn't do it, but there's a lot of people that really... I mean, somebody lives in that exorcist house, and they act like that's no big deal. I couldn't live there. I almost peed my pants twice in the night like last night staying than, in a haunted hotel. I feel like it's different than, like, like, there's a difference between living in a house and then sleeping in the beds of people who were yeah. brutally murdered. I mean, they did change the mattresses. Wow. <laughs> you could not pay me enough money. Yeah. Uh, the family also began to smell cheap perfume, and this is very similar to what the first officer who responded to the murders said. He complained that he smelled like this overwhelming, like really flowery, not good smelling perfume. Uh, the kids reported seeing shadow figures in the home, and one of the creepiest things that they reported was when George Lutz woke up in the middle of the night to find Kathy levitating beside him in the bed up towards the ceiling. She was still sleeping. She wasn't really aware of what was going on. And he said when he looked at her, literally, quote, before my eyes, she began to change into an old lady with gray hair and all. Then she began, began levitating. Later, both the boys also said and were shown to have levitated in their beds. So something was powerful enough to like lift these grown people. Like you mentioned, there has been a lot of controversy surrounding the claims made by the Lutz family throughout the years. Uh, the Lutzes themselves say that they think that most of this was magnified by how much Hollywood exaggerated a lot of the things that happened. Like they told their story and some of the things that they did with the story, they think made it look like they were lying because they, you know how Hollywood is. I mean, nobody wants to watch a documentary where it's not super, or a movie where it's not super scary. How long after this they moved out was the first thing we made? I don't know. Um, I think it was made... In the 70s? Let's find out. Okay. So, 1979. 1979, so four years later. And, I mean, they told them, they worked with the people on the story, but you know how it goes. You don't have, you don't like, have the final say in what gets put in and what doesn't. They the rights to the story. Yeah. Like, they never said there was blood running, like, in the basement, you know, like, the blood and the dog and all that stuff. Do you think the blood in the movie was to mimic the ooze? Maybe, or I think it was just to add that shock appeal, because... This movie was pretty um, pivotal, and it was very new for that kind of a movie. It literally was like one of the first true to 
live paranormal movies ever done. And it literally, like, people friggin' flock to see it. <laughs> um, they have done a lot of things over the years to try and reaffirm that they truly 100% believe this. Christopher Lutz, um, one of the sons, actually has confirmed in multiple interviews that the hauntings were true. Because there's been a lot of, like, back and forth between Christopher and George. And they really didn't get along well later in life. And people always t said that they they thought that was because Christopher thought George had been lying. And Christopher said, no, I don't think he was lying. But I do think some of the things that have been said were definitely, like, embellished and kind of, like, hyped up. But this stuff did happen. And he said, you know... He thinks they were some of them were exaggerated to make for a better story, but he's he also then turns around and says, I was afraid in that house almost every day. I saw the shadow of a large man darting around on multiple occasions. He definitely confirmed that there was paranormal stuff he said he was let he levitated. Um, and George and Kathy both submitted to a lie detector test and they were administered by men who were considered to be in the top four of the lie detector experts in the country at the time and they passed without a question of a doubt flying colors from both of the experts so that does give some credence to their story not only did they pass the lie detectors but they fled in the middle of the night leaving behind their belongings and they literally never went back for them and considering that it was a substantial investment for them they lost their money on the house i mean they lost the belongings they he left his boat he left his motorcycles they left all of that stuff and it's not like you can just write that off with insurance you can't just say my house was possessed so i left all my stuff there can i have a refund they're not going to do that i would be interested to know how much money they made after yeah it would be nice to know but i do not have that information for you so and also all of their belongings were like clothing well and they didn't I, leave like no, they left furniture behind. Yeah, they did. They left all the stuff they bought from the. I mean, yeah, but that was like furniture that was already there. Like, but it's still there. It still would have been the furniture they would have needed to reestablish a life somewhere else. And I don't know. I, I think that for someone to walk away from their dream house in the middle of the night, twenty-eight days after they purchased it, and leave all of their stuff behind, there had to be something that scared the living shit out of them. I'm currently just trying to see how much money they made. <laughs> Right. I bet it's probably not public record. I don't know. I'm probably not. I mean, back then I'm not sure that... I was just interested to see, like, because a studio had to buy the story. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. And who knows? I mean, there's lots of things. I personally think that this is one of the creepiest And there was, like, ever. a book made, like, very shortly after, right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, I would be so sad to walk away from my belongings, especially my Ana Luisa jewelry. Same here. The only good thing that would come out of that would be getting to check out what beautiful new styles they released this week. Uh, very true. They put out new designs every Friday of their products that are carbon neutral all the way from packing to product. And they have something for everyone in your life. If you use our link, shop.analuisa.com slash monstersandmixers, you will get buy one, get one 40% off. Which is a great deal, especially with Mother's Day coming in just a few weeks. I've already picked out, like, my next 10 items, I think. Only 10? Yeah, I thought I would start there, um, especially because when you get the buy one, get one 40% off, that's already a great deal, but their jewelry is really decently, uh, like, inexpensively priced. $39 for most things to start. 
So you can buy a lot of jewelry with just a little bit of money. Yes, you can. So after listening to the final part of our episode, use the link shop.annalusa.com slash monsters and mixers to get the special someone in your life some beautiful and classy jewelry at a great price. Yeah. And unlike Emma, I would definitely buy Lorraine Warren some jewelry if I could because I love Lorraine Warren and Emma does not. No, I would not. <laughs> no, definitely not. I absolutely would not, actually. <laughs> um, the Warrens investigated the story by the Lutzes and there's definitely been no shortage of controversy surrounding the Warrens over the years. But I am still very firmly in their camp, I believe, what I'm Lorraine. Is you're not Team Zach Biggins. <laughs> Well, no, come on, that's a different thing. I believe Lorraine really had a lot of um, psychic medium abilities, and I think that there's a faction of people that exist that really try their absolute best to discredit anything that makes them feel uncomfortable. And I think that a lot of what Lorraine did is very easy to... It, it's very threatening to somebody who has an atheist belief or a scientific belief even though you can scientifically prove some things that also are paranormal in nature i do feel like there are a lot of people that really go out of their way to like try and smear people who have any kind of psychic claims does that make sense yeah i think most of the criticism that i've seen towards them is typically from people who are also in the psychic medium community um they kind of just think that she maybe they I don't want to put it all on her because it was a team effort mm-hmm. um, that they sensationalized a lot of things for profit, which I think is where most people have their problems. Yeah, maybe. All right, so we're gonna take a teeny little break, and then when we come back, we're gonna tell you about what happened when the Warrens came and investigated the Lutz claim and the Amityville Horror House. So we will be right back. <laughs> After the Lutz family fled the Amityville Horror House in literally the dead of night, they left behind all their belongings, like I said, and they moved as far away as possible. Ed and Lorraine Warren were called by not even the Lutzes. They were called by a guy named Marvin Scott. And he called them and asked if they wanted to investigate the house. And at first they were like, I don't even know what you're talking about. The Warrens had met Marvin a year earlier at a haunted church in New Jersey when they were doing an investigation at the same time. So at the time of Marvin's call, like I said, they didn't even know about the murders and they had no idea about the um, claims of the Lutzes because they had been out of the country. They were doing some other investigation overseas. And of course they were interested because that was what they did. They immediately were like, yep, we'll meet you there. So they met Marvin at the house and they were not immediately able to get into the home because George Lutz was supposed to meet them there to give them the key, but he didn't show up. So Marvin's like, hey, George, why aren't you here? We're here waiting for the key. And George's like, I'm at this pizza parlor four blocks away. If you want the key, you have to come here. He said he had no intention of ever stepping foot in that house again. And that was the closest he was willing to go because he was so afraid. And when they met up with him, George Warren, uh, or sorry, Ed Warren asked George, you know, 
what happened to you in that house? And he, Ed said, George just replied, you know. He's like, no, I don't know. What happened in that house? And George again was like, you know. And Ed said he was getting really annoyed because he's like, I don't know. Why do you keep saying that? Just freaking tell me. So he asked him a third time and he got the same response. And he realized at that time that George was scared. He could like see that he was afraid and that he wasn't just trying to be a jerk and tell him, well, you know what happened. He literally didn't want to talk about it. And George said he was afraid to speak about what happened because he was afraid speaking that close to the house, it would like rehash that energy and draw it to him. And he had a good reason for that because when the Lutz family first left, they went to Kathy's mom's house to stay. And they say that the demon followed them there and that the green slime that they had been seeing at the Amityville house actually started like coming up their mom's stairs and they left again. They're like, nope, we're out of here. And they moved to California because they're like, we need to get as much distance between us and this, whatever the hell it is, as we can because I don't want to be around it. The Warrens and the investigation team were able to get into the house. Uh, obviously, George did not go with them. And Ed said that when he opened the house, it reeked of death. And he was like, not like decomposing bodies, but like something has been here dead forever. And they just had this horrible, awful smell. And so they kind of all split up. And Ed went downstairs to the cellar to check things out. And once he got down there, he asked for the presence to reveal itself. And he said immediately he felt this tremendous pressure like he was underwater or like under a roaring waterfall. And he said he felt like he had just hundreds of pinpricks of electricity and heat on his face. And he felt just this really oppressive like feeling. And so he began to recite the prayers and he called it was like a religious resistance. I guess because they had been in so many places that were demonically possessed that that's what they did. And... It said the prayers worked and he was able to break away from whatever it was and join the investigation upstairs. So at the same time, Lorraine had been doing her own investigation. And so just a little background about the couple if you're not familiar. George never claimed to have any paranormal abilities. Ed. Ed why did I, sorry, I don't know why I keep doing that. Ed never claimed to have any paranormal abilities at all. He was just a guy who went and tried to see if he could like witness something. Lorraine, however, really did have psychic abilities and she was able to talk to spirits and feel them and see them and like actually be a medium and like do seances and talk to people's dead relatives, stuff like that. So when Ed would feel something in the house, when he would feel a presence somewhere, it was usually considered to be very, very strong because he didn't have that really strong sens sensitivity like Lorraine did. He did, in the Amityville house, say he felt the presence of entities and things. He could feel it. It just felt really, really gross. Um, Lorraine, like I said, was highly sensitive. She said that when she entered the front of the house, she had an immediate vision of what the DeFeo's bodies looked like when they had been laid out by the police. And she actually later told them what it looked like, like what the vision was. And it was exactly how they had, once they pulled their bodies out from their bedrooms, that's where they had put them. She pulled out her Padre Pio relic, which apparently Padre Pio was like really, really um, famous. He was sainted and is known as one of the big protectors in the Catholic religion. And 
he she pulled that out when she saw them and she was you know walking around she was reciting her prayer that she was doing trying to protect herself and she found herself drawn toward the landing in the living room that sat between the stairs going up to the second floor and the ones going down to the basement and unbeknown to her or to ed she, they were both having the same experience at the same time. Lorraine told Ed when he came up that she also had this feeling of being submerged under hard running water or a waterfall. And she really began to cup her relic even tighter. And it was at that point that she made her way to the sewing room where the priest had had the really bad experience. And she said at that point she could feel what the DeFeos must have felt when their son murdered them. It was, she said, just the worst feeling she's ever had. She got physically nauseous. She felt horrible. In one of the most famous photos from the investigation, you can find this online and I'll post it in our story link and things. The Warrens actually captured what they say is a photo of one of the DeFeo boys. And you can see him peeking out of a door, like between the spindles of a stairwell. And I know you've seen that picture before. It looks just like the youngest DeFeo kid. And he also has like this glowing demonic look to him. So they didn't think it was the actual spirit of the DeFeo boy. They thought it was the demon in the house trying to pretend like it was him. Because as we've talked about before in lots of episodes, demons often like to take on the form of kids because it makes you trust them more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm just letting you talk. I don't have anything to add. I'm just going to take a little sip. Hold on one sec. I feel like when I talk so much, my throat dries out and I'm over here feeling like I've been walking in the desert for a week. <laughs> so that picture is really scary. Um, as I stated earlier, George and Kathy Lutz passed the lie detector test. And Ed and Lorraine also stood super strong in the reports of the house being demonic. Ed even went as far as to offer a $3,000 reward for anyone who could prove that a hoax of any kind had taken place. He's like, if you can prove it, bring me your evidence and you can have this money. And I watched him in an interview and he reiterated in, in this interview over and over, we welcome, if you can see, find any way to disprove what happened, please bring it to us. To Up until the day of his death, no one ever did that. No one was ever to fir firmly prove that anything had gone wrong. He's like, we did not fake this. The, they did not believe the Lutzes faked it. They all fully believed that it was real. My rebuttal to him would be, I'll give you $3,000 if you can firmly prove that it isn't. <laughs> because he can't. Well, no. But it'd be really easy to prove that they faked the photo, which has never been done. It would be really easy to prove that the stories that the Lutzes told, that they didn't, in fact, leave their motorcycles and boat there and all those things. I mean, lots of things are easy to disprove. I'll add things later. Okay. Um, there were also several physical symptoms that were experienced by only the men who were part of the investigative team. And this is one I thought really was a very strange paranormal side effect, supernatural side effect. They all had incredibly painful heart palpitations that were so debilitating that it brought them to their knees when they were walking around the house. None of the women there had any of those same things happen. And sadly, most of the men ended up dying from heart attacks not too long after they had been in the house. Ed himself suffered a near-fatal heart attack almost immediately after they left, but he survived. 
And even though he survived that, that was the cause of Ed Warren's death. He did die of a heart attack. And George Lutz died of a heart attack. And three of their cameramen died of a heart attack. And all of these people. And so you wonder if there was a force in there that was strong enough where it really messed with their electronic heart energy. You know how your heart's got, you know, like... Do you think it was like just a time where men were smoking like four packs a day no because the one guy they even showed a picture of and this cameraman was young he was fit he was like maybe late 30s no health conditions was very physically active wasn't a smoker just dropped dead from a heart attack so i thought that was incredibly ironic and really other than that there's not a whole lot of investigation other than they very vehemently claim that they were in fact in the presence of the of evil okay so this is the i will not i was just told that i'm not supposed to shit all over the episode and i'm not going to but the one thing that i feel like is very important to add is that william weber who was butch defeo's lawyer was approached by george lutz with an idea um, George had just abandoned his home and he told the lawyer that they could cook up a haunted house story together, most likely inspired by the current fad that was brought on by the Exorcist movie, which happened, I think, early 70s, so a few years prior to them moving into the house. Um, Weber figured that with this story, um, the story of the demonic possession and all the stuff going on, that he could potentially get a retrial for Butch if he has someone else in the house who was cooperating the devil made me do it story. And it was a win-win situation because the Lutzes would profit off of the story. Weber could exonerate his client. He could make his money. And this is not just hearsay. We know this for a fact to be true because Weber sued the Lutzes for capitalizing off of some of his ideas for the haunting, which include the demon pig and the green slime and not paying him the correct royalties. I need to see this in writing <laughs> because I don't believe it. And like I said at the beginning, though, I do think that it can be both he was crazy and he was also under the influence of something. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I will, the last thing I'm going to say. Because George Lutz hadn't, that didn't happen before he fled the house. They'd already fled the house. Something had already happened to make them leave, right? He approached them after they left, after he had already said that they were gone because something was going on. So it is possible, too, that that was just him saying, hey, if you say this stuff, it's really going to, like, you know, send your story home. Okay. Um, the only thing else that I will say is the little red room that she said wasn't included in mm -hmm. the plans, it was included in the plans. They knew about it because it was a room that the young DeFeos used to like as a playroom. They kept their toys down there. Mm -hmm. So it was not like a hidden room. Like it was definitely something that was known to them. It and may just not have been known the house, to them. It was on the floor plans too. And it may not just have been something that they paid attention to right. when they looked at the floor plan. There, I do know that this has not scared away anybody from buying the house. If no, people, I'm pretty sure someone bought it for like it was on $1.2 million or it something. It was on sale or up for sale for 850000 but they ended up selling it for $650,000. Um, and the new owners changed the address by like three or four numbers because they were so entirely tired of people coming. And constantly there's like, you know, people like me who just are obsessed with this shit. And 
They also took out, if you're familiar with the house, it had those windows that literally are referred to as like the eyes of the house. Mm -hmm. They took those out and replaced them with square windows. Yeah, which and, I mean, that's definitely the most recognizable part of the house. Yeah. So like if you were to change the address and change that, then people just like driving by might not know that that's the mm -hmm. house because that's the most recognizable part of its ex exterior for sure. And there have been plenty of people who have lived there that also very weird stylistic choice for a house. The windows, I always thought they were really cool. It, made, it actually made me sad when I heard they took them out. It's like kind of creepy because I, I thought know. they were pretty. I thought they were pretty cool looking. Um, I don't know. I still believe that there's something that happened in that house that led to all the things that happened, and I do believe that people can be influenced by outside presences, and that it could be. I mean, like you keep saying that. You think that Butch DeFeo, it was the drugs, but it could also be that he started doing the drugs because of the presence in the house. I don't think it was just drugs. And because he was feeling bad or it was driving him to make those choices. And people that firmly believe in evil and the devil and things, and I'm still, you know how I feel. I'm not sure if I believe in hell per se, but um, I do believe in evil presences. And it there are a lot of people that believe that those are actually the devil's influence when you're encouraged to sin and encouraged to do things that break down your connection to God. Not that this is a religious podcast, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Did you, I know there are rumors and I haven't really gone like too deep into them, but didn't one of the Lutz children say that his dad was like super into the occult yeah. prior to moving in? They, I which almost could have led him to like purchase the house to begin with. Yeah. And it also could have led him to doing things in the house that made it like open. Um, I do know that before the Lutzes moved in that Mr. DeFeo actually had somebody come in and do an exorcism on the house also. And he bought a freaking shit ton of religious statues. They're really creepy. And put them all over the property. And when they asked him why, he said because he felt like he needed to keep the devil off his back. And a lot of people after the murders thought he was talking about like, you know, his son, maybe. But it could also be about the mob uh, he could be but no they're like very obvious they're like saints and angels and all these really weird looking statues i mean he was i mean they're very catholic family yeah so he brought in and i mean why it no one knows why he had it exercised because they weren't able to ask him because no one knew about all this stuff until it was too late and they were already gone so i feel like they're maybe and maybe when the Lutz's left. Maybe it left with them because they did say at her mom's house they felt like it had followed them. Who knows? I mean, Emma did bring up a, a point on break that George and Kathy Lutz did not remain married, but they did remain friendly and they did still keep in touch. I don't think the same was said for the kids. And you even kind of see that like when you watch the movie and stuff. Like he, um, Christopher, did say that he and George did not have a very good relationship. But he said he was not abusive like that. I mean, he was a jerk to him. And it was also a guy who just took on a family with three kids, two of whom were, you know, boys. And I'm sure he was probably trying to figure out that stepdad dy dynamic, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hated my stepdad when I first met him because he wasn't my dad. But, you know, he ended up being every bit of my dad. So it could have also been that kind of thing. And it's really easy when you're a kid to think everything that your parents do, it's just the worst thing ever. Well, it also probably sucked, like, growing up after that mm -hmm. with, like, the name attached to you. And then that's, like, the only thing that people yeah. will ever associate you with is 
Amityville right. and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, like, your parents die because they did pass away, like we said, and you're left to deal with, like, the interviews and the fallout right. and, like, that's now your life. Yeah. And you were seven. Well, and, <laughs> like, and if you saw the way that your parents were treated and how people thought about them, why would you subject yourself to that? I mean, why would you, if even if something really crazy did happen, why would you tell the world that you know is just going to turn around and use that to mock you and ridicule you? Why would you do that? I mean, I feel like every time I say something to someone about an experience I have, they're like, oh, okay, sure. And then, so I have a very select group of people who I will actually open up when something creepy happens to because I get that pushback from a lot of people. And I know the things that I see and feel and witness are genuine, but I also find myself calling bullshit on other people when they tell me sometimes because I'm like, yeah, okay, sure, that happened. So it's, there's that, like, fine line in the Well, which is why I think it's so world. easy for a lot of people to think that, like, some of the things that were said were so, like, outlandish, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it, when was the last time you heard, like, of a haunting story? Like, even, like, the most insane haunting stories, like, the exorcist story, like, everything where the walls were oozing with green slime. Um, the demon house, remember? The blinds had... Like they had like slime. Liquid they on had them. like liquid that they couldn't get off. But like, I mean, it's it's a common theme in demonic presence that there's like some gooey girl stuff, and I don't know what that is. I think it started here. <laughs> Maybe if I had to guess. I'm gonna believe it probably started here. It's possible. So the one thing that I would like, I wish they would have done, is because the whole story that they said was like all of these things. Happened so fast and so strongly, and then the final thing is something that, like, we'll never tell. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, the final thing that made us flee. They've never divulged that. They never did. Um, never said what was, like, the tip of the iceberg for them. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're already experiencing all of these crazy things, what is crazy enough to make you snap and finally leave? They never, no one has ever divulged that information. I think it could have been, like, an almost possession. I mean, they're, if you truly do believe the levitation, all the things, they're pretty close to one of them being actually taken over. I mean, that's... Well, in the movie, don't, I mean, I know the movie's not real life, but they definitely try to portray that, that George, George is mm -hmm. possessed from, like, the moment they move in to yeah. the moment that they And leave. there are some really stark, really scary similarities between how... Physically. Physically how George Lutz and... Butch DeFeo looked. They really did look that much alike. But also, like, they do look a lot alike, but I can also say it might just be, like, a testament of the time. Yeah. A lot of men in the 70s of, like, a certain age range looked a lot alike because it was kind of just stylistic choices. Yeah, that... but they even looked alike in the fact that they looked really worn down, like, oppressed. They both, and it probably was Butch's drug use and George getting woken up every night and well, yeah, I mean, sleeping, sleeping and then having to go to work. But they both look just as like, oh my gosh, you just look so freaking beat down and tired. Not only are you not are you not sleeping and having to go to work, but in the event that this is true, you know that every day you have to come home to it. Yeah, which would I mean tear anybody down. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to tell everyone because I forgot I I did post about this on um, the internet the other day, but so Emma and I Emma had some. You want to tell them about your nightmare fest? I won't go like too into it, but I had. A night last week where I had one of those nights where it felt like an all-night nightmare 
because usually I can wake myself up and like center myself, like go drink some water or like look on my phone for a little bit and then I go back to sleep Catch and I, yeah, have a different dream. Like I'm not right back into it. Usually you can shake yourself from nightmares. Mine was like, I'd wake up and I'd be like, well, that fucking sucked. Like that was really scary. And then I'd go back to bed and I would be right back in it. And it was just horrible. It had, it was almost like an out of body type thing where I felt like I was like watching myself in my room where I was sleeping in the exact position could see like, I have not slept with my brother's door open since then because <laughs> I'm weird about that anyways. I don't like sleeping with doors open, mm -hmm. but I could see like the darkness of the room across the hallway. And I just, it was very, so bad that in my sleepy stupor in the morning, I told you about it, which is not yeah. something that I do. Uh -uh. And she also thought that I was standing in her doorway. Cause so I get up in the morning about five forty, five forty-five. And I can't see for shit. So the first thing I do is take my glasses off and put my contacts in because I see much better that way. And so I'm in the bathroom getting ready for work and, you know, doing my makeup, doing that kind of thing. And I hear Emma go, Mom! I'm like, what? And she's like, wait, weren't you just standing in my doorway? And I was like, uh, nope and nope. <sighs> so she thought I had been standing in her doorway for like 10 minutes looking down at my phone with my glasses on. And I don't have 10 extra minutes in the morning. I'm rushing out the door. <laughs> And nor would I do that because that's creepy and weird. So that did not happen. I was like annoyed. I'm like, yeah. why is this freaking woman just standing in my door for 20 minutes at 5 in the morning? Yeah. Very weird. So flash forward to the later on that night. We're eating dinner at the kitchen table. Mike gets up. My husband and he leaves. And Em and I are just sitting there chit-chatting. Not really finishing eating, but just kind of sitting at the table. And we're kind of talking about this stuff. And I swear to God... The freaking trash can. Remember when we talked about that in the episodes before? Went back when we had the active activity in the house. Was just going ham. It was moving. And I was like, oh my God. Emma, do you see that? And she refused to look because she was scared. She was like, nope, I'm not looking. But she could hear it. And it was obviously moving. I went over and I checked because it stopped like as soon as we acknowledged because that's what they do. And... I went over and looked, nothing had fallen into it to knock it. The trash hadn't just settled. There was like two little paper plates in the bottom. Nothing that would have caused that. So I don't know if it's back. I don't know what's going on, but we're going to do a sage-a-thon. We're supposed soon. to do that, and we haven't. Yeah. So if anybody wants to, you know, go fund us some <laughs> money for some excess sage, we probably need to do that regularly. Some Palo Santo. It's not very scary. I haven't felt anything since then. Me neither. I feel like, I don't know. And I also feel like we had just done our Ouija um, episode. And sometimes when you talk about stuff a little too much in your house, it definitely can stir some stuff up. So, after we do this episode, we're almost done. We're just going to go ahead and sage. Open a window so we don't have a poor spirit trapped in here running around how, wondering how the hell it's supposed <laughs> to get out of here. And hopefully that will end any activity because very much very quickly starting to realize that I'm not so sure I really want to see anything. I, what have I been saying? I was so scared last night in that hotel. It took me so long to fall asleep. It's not a game. <laughs> it's not, but I I need to know. Grr. It's driving me crazy. Alright, well hopefully you enjoyed this episode and your apple martinis. Mine's almost gone. Please make sure that you like and follow us on our socials, which are what are our socials, Emma? Do we uh, know? I didn't write yeah, them down. I got it. Yeah. I got it. I we got should it. know them by now. <laughs> I know. There's just so many. It's hard to. Yeah. It'd be easier if they were all the same. Um, oh my goodness. 
So we have Facebook. Okay, so we have Facebook at Monsters and Mixers Pod, Twitter at Monsters Mixers, and Instagram at Monsters and Mixers Podcast. Yeah, and also please don't forget to go on over to Anna Luisa and get yourself some jewelry for your faves. And that link, if you want to use it, is shop.analuisa.com slash Monsters and Mixers. And that will give you some extra cash to spend next time you go out because you'll get buy, buy one, one get one forty percent off, woo woo, which is a great deal. It is a great deal. So see you next time. It will be a BYOB episode, but we will still bring you something terrifying to talk about. So get out there and meet some ghosts and make some toasts. <laughs>